Acts 1. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had, he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also, also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a, over a period of 40 days. Appearing to them over, over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God and gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for that, for what the Father had promised, which he said, You've heard, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the time or the times of the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking, up, looking into the sky? This Jesus, who, you've been, who, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in, come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered the city, they went up to the, to the upper room where they were staying. That is, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. A gathering of about 120 persons was there together, and said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry, now this man acquired a field with the, piece of, with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his intestines gushed out, and it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so that in their own language that field was called Hekeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate, and let no one dwell in it, and let another man take his office. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias, and they prayed and said, You, Lord, you know the hearts of all men. 
Show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. Please be seated. Good morning. Good to be in the Lord's house this morning. Glad that you're here with us today. I hope that you came ready and prepared to have the word open and see what the the Lord through the Holy Spirit would teach us today from his word. We're in the book of Acts. We're three weeks into the book of Acts. And I'm excited about where the Lord has taken us already and about where we are headed in this uh, course here this summer. As we look at the first uh, seven chapters this summer in the book of Acts. This morning we're going to look at what to do in the waiting. Some of you here perhaps are in that particular time frame right now of waiting. You know, a few years back I was remembering the time when we had a Grand Prix. And at the time it was our only vehicle. And we had, we had three children, and so our, our back seat was, was lined with uh, car seats and boosters. It was, a, it was a bit snug, needless to say. And uh, we were, at that time, in the process of, of waiting. And I remember that part of that waiting was waiting upon the Lord to provide a, an additional vehicle to service the needs of of our family at that time. And we realized that one more child, should the Lord add another child, that was going to get kind of tricky in terms of how and where to place that fourth child in, in the Grand Prix. And we continued to wait. Time passed. And we received word from another family in the church that they were purchasing a new van. And they knew that we had been seeking a larger vehicle with the arrival, perhaps, of a fourth child coming. So they decided to sell the van to us for the whopping price of one dollar. And when we arrived at their house to pick up the van, it had been detailed, it had been cleaned... And I remember my first thought was, thank you, Lord. See, he'd heard our prayer in the midst of the waiting. And he provided above and beyond what we thought imaginable. Somebody essentially gifting a van. (laughs) You know, perhaps you're here today and you find yourself in a period of waiting. The waiting period for some of you might be relatively short. As of this Saturday, our family is going to have a waiting period of about two and a half weeks before we can get into the new home. We're going to be out Saturday, and we've got about a two and a half week period where we're going to be waiting. Some of you have a longer period to wait. Some of you have... Nine months of waiting. Some of you have already 
been waiting a few of those months and maybe have cut that in half as you wait for the arrival of a new child in your home. I was also reminded of the waiting in here. There was an approximate four-month waiting period that one family in particular has. Uh, The husband and father is away for a time, and they're waiting. You know, I was reminded of this as I was reading Jacob has been sending correspondence. Some of you maybe are privy to those and aware of what some of those are. But in, in, in many of his correspondence emails, he's talked about how he's had to wait. For those of you that don't know Jacob, he's currently serving our country overseas. And I got to thinking, you know, if, if Jacob, if, if you are listening to this message, if by chance, I know you're pretty technologically savvy. So if you get a chance to get a hold of this particular word and message today, first of all, happy Father's Day. But secondly, I'd like to just put a word for you in particular to be encouraged in the waiting to trust in the Lord, to lean not on your own understanding, to steward your waiting time with the word of God. I've been blessed by the scriptures that he has included in his correspondence. Jacob, I would want you to know as well that your waiting in another country is being lifted up before the Lord each day, that you have people here praying for you. A few scriptures just to encourage, and this not only for Jacob, but this is an encouragement to anyone who's waiting. Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Psalm 39, 7. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Or Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Psalm 37, verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. You know, the apostles have been informed that a time is coming when they will be waiting. Remember Acts chapter 1, verse 5, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Well, not many days from now is still an unknown, isn't it? With the scriptures before us, we can piece together that the waiting period is 10 days. You see, Jesus spent 40 days on earth following his resurrection, according to Acts 1, verse 3. And from the time of his ascension until the arrival of the Holy Spirit, there would be another 10 days. We left off at Acts 1, verse 8 last week, and, and still no ascension yet. The text for today, though, is going to unveil the ascension. 
and provides some idea of what the apostles were doing in the waiting. Church, I believe this is very instructive for each of you today. Because I believe many of you are also in a period of waiting. I believe many of you have been in a period of waiting. And if you haven't been or you currently aren't, it's probably coming. I would like you to know this right up front. That your waiting in the Lord is not in vain. Whether you are waiting for a material need, whether you are waiting for the arrival of a new child, whether you are waiting for the return of your father, husband. Perhaps you're waiting right now to hear about a job opportunity. Maybe you're waiting to hear test results coming back from the doctor. I was reminded of of Ben not too long ago, and he had to wait just a little bit as he was recovering from an injury. You see, we all go through these periods of waiting. But I'd like for us to see this morning that, that your waiting in the Lord is not in vain. You see, the Lord provides a time of waiting, and He also provides a purpose in that waiting. Do you ever consider that the waiting He orchestrates is waiting filled with purpose? I mean, we look at the Scriptures, and and you know many of these, but you know Moses, Moses waited, right? He waited on the backside of the desert for 40 years. We see that Noah waited some 100 years while that ark was being built. And God brought the floodwaters. Abraham waited for the promise of a son. Joseph waited for two years while he was in the king's prison cell before being promoted to a high position in Egypt. The children of God were given a 40-year waiting period in the wilderness because of their unbelief. Joshua was instructed to wait seven days before the city of Jericho would fall. The Israelites waited 40 days before little David arrived on the scene to take care of this giant Goliath. Nehemiah waited some three months before an opportunity came to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Jesus himself we see in the Gospels Endured 40 days. Shortly after his baptism, the Spirit sent him into the wilderness where he was there. Along with Satan. And we see even the Apostle Paul waited approximately three years in Arabia, Damascus, before returning to Jerusalem. You see, the scriptures speak often of waiting And the God who originates the waiting is also the same God who desires to accomplish His purposes in your life through these various periods of waiting. So as you read Acts 1, what is it that the apostles are waiting on? Are they not waiting? In fact, are they not commanded to wait for the promise of the Father? So the command has come to wait, 
the instructions for what they are to do once he leaves, the, be witnesses to me. That's already been proclaimed, Acts 1.8. Now, the trigger period for the waiting seems to be Jesus leaving the scene. Let's look at the text. Acts 1.9. Now, when he had spoken these things, when he had spoken these things, Verses 7 and 8 in particular. Perhaps we could even include uh, 4 through 8. Perhaps we could include uh, even Luke 24, 44 through 49. All right. These, these things that he has spoken here just in the past, just in the short recent memory here. But I believe specifically Acts 1, 8. Okay. When the marching orders had been issued, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received them out of their sight. Luke's gospel says it this way in Luke 24, 50 and 51. He led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. I want you to notice there, and I don't, I don't bring this out just for grammatical purposes. I bring this out also to highlight the fact that the father is a part of the son's leaving. That's a passive rendering. So he's, he's here in the text. He was parted from them. He was carried up into heaven. We see that the Father sent him to earth. The Father willed that he go to the cross. The Father raised him from the dead and carried him now up into heaven. The Father is at work in the life of his Son. I want you to see that. Luke as he's being carried along by the Holy Spirit, is concerned that his audience recognize something else. I hope you see it in the text. Luke makes this clear. The apostles here in Acts 1, the apostles saw Jesus ascend into heaven. They viewed this with their own eyes. He was taken up in a cloud received him out of their sight. Church, the ascension is fact. You know, we talk about his death, his burial, his resurrection. I'm going to put the ascension in there too. Look at the number of times, just here in Acts 1, 9 through 11, where Luke records the apostles seeing this event. I don't believe that's a mistake. They saw him go up, and then they saw him no more. A cloud received him. You know what? This, this perhaps would have conjured up some images of the Old Testament. Because you see, this group that saw him would have become and known, they would have known very well the scriptures, what the scriptures had to say. And so this reference here to the cloud and seeing the cloud and the cloud receiving him. I, I was reminded in thinking back of Mount Sinai. You remember Mount Sinai? In Exodus chapter 20, verse 9, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. A few verses later in verse 16, same chapter. 
Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings in a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Or what about, turn to, turn to Numbers. Numbers chapter 9. I'll begin reading in verse 15. Now on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. From evening until morning, it was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. So it was always. This was custom. This is the way that it was. Keep going. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up from the t above the tabernacle, after that the children of Israel would journey... And in the place where the cloud settled, there the children of Israel would pitch their tents. At the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey. And at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained encamped. Even when the cloud continued long, many days above the tabernacle, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not journey. So it was when the cloud was above the tabernacle a few days. According to the command of the Lord, they would remain encamped. And according to the command of the Lord, they would journey. Boy, you know what? Just stop for a moment. Wouldn't it be great? Just to have that, that cloud, that visible. I mean, think about that. How, how, how great that would be. When it's time to move, the cloud's going to move. If the cloud doesn't move, you stay put. Pretty simple. Cloud moves, like we're pitching it where we're going. And we're just going to keep going until the cloud stops. When the cloud stops, we're, we're going to pitch tent right here. And for however long the cloud's going to be here, we'll just, we'll just know this is of the Lord, we're going to be here. That's, that's the cloud. The cloud, they were following the cloud, following the ways of the cloud. Whether it was two days, a month, or a year, in other words, it didn't matter how long you had to wait. All they had to do was observe the cloud, be obedient to where the cloud was going, what it was doing. The children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey, but when it was taken up, they would journey. I love that passage of scripture. You see, the men watching the ascension, they would have understood these scriptures in the Old Testament. They would have been familiar with the presence of the cloud representing the glory of God. But you know, what else does the scripture say about the cloud? Does it not also point to a time yet to come in the future? Oh, this is good. Turn to Luke chapter 9 for just a moment. Luke chapter 9. And this is right after the if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. All right? So the mount, remember the transfiguration? Remember that? Peter, John, and James, they get opportunity to go up there on the mountain with Jesus. I'll pick it up in 33. Then it happened, as they were parting from him, that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. <laughs> and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And I love this insert, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, 
a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. What about Matthew's gospel? In Matthew chapter 24, 30 and 31. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see, they will see the Son of Man coming on the what? On the clouds with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Matthew 26, 64, he's before the high priest and they're asking him a question. And here's how he responds. This was, this was a trigger. But you know what? I love Jesus because he spoke the truth. He spoke the truth. Here's what he said. Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Or what about Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 and 17? For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Amen for that. Perhaps. Perhaps Luke. Here in Acts 1. Is communicating much more than Jesus simply leaving the earth. Perhaps the reference to Jesus being received by the cloud. Is reference both to the history of Israel. And yet a glimpse of what is to come. In the future. See he's leaving accompanied by the clouds. And he's going to return church. Accompanying according to the scriptures. Accompanied by the clouds. Notice what happens as Jesus is being carried away into heaven. Acts 1.10. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven. As he went up. Behold two men stood by them in white apparel. You see the picture that Luke is painting here. As they are looking steadfastly toward heaven, two men in white apparel show up beside them. The assumption here is that these men in white are messengers from the Lord. We would call them angels. And you know, instead of just simply passing by this, I, I was drawn to the ministry of the angels here in the text. And you know, the tendency for you perhaps... It's to shy away from looking at the ministry of the angels. You know, because there are some today, and you've got to be careful, right? You've got to be careful because there are some who are raising the banner today for the angels. We've got this angelology, right? They're studying all these ins and outs of angels, and angels this, angels that. And angels become the primary rather than Christ. Well, I'm not interested in speaking of angels in that regard. You know, from what I understand, even in the book of Hebrews, Christ is superior even to the angels, right? Amen? He's superior. I got to thinking about the ministry of the angels, though, in the scriptures. Not dreaming and thinking about all these things angels might do or might be. What does the scripture say about the ministry of the angels? What does the Bible have to say about their presence? And I started to ask the question, why? Why is it necessary for these angels to show up? What purpose do they serve? 
When they arrive, what messages are they bringing? And I say that because the word itself, angelos, has in mind a messenger. So if, if these two men in white are showing up and they are angels, my assumption is they've got a message. They've got something to say. And you know, I was, I was looking at the life of Christ himself and how the angel of the Lord shows up at the birth of Christ, right? Shows up to both Joseph and Mary. Remember Joseph? Remember, remember the situation there? Joseph is about to put her away quietly, isn't he? He's about to divorce her. She's expecting a child and Joseph trying to figure that out. He's about to divorce her. At that point, when he's thinking those thoughts, who shows up? Angel. And you know, then you had Mary in Luke chapter 1. And the angel shows up to her. Says that you have been shown favor by the Lord. That you were going to have a son. Oh, Mary, I want you to know that this child in you has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 2, angel shows up to the shepherds, remember that? Saying, there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ, Jesus Christ, the Lord. The message, a Savior has been born. That's a pretty important message. Or what about following his time in the wilderness? Matthew 4, verse 11 says, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Luke records these words, which take place at the time of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Why? Why did an angel show up? You know what was about to happen? He was about to go to a cross. Pretty timely visit. I was reminded of Matthew 26, 53. At the time of his arrest, shortly after the prayer in the garden, remember the words of Jesus Shortly after rebuking Peter for cutting off Malchus's ear, remember that, huh? The guys come in and he's like, Phew. you know. After all, Jesus talked about it. Jesus. I mean, Peter's, yeah. And he's like, Peter. Here's what he says. Put your sword in its place. Or do you not think that I cannot now pray to the Father and He will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? In other words, do you see that Jesus? had at his disposal legions of angels. The resurrection accounts of the Gospels speak to one or more angels showing up on the scene. Matthew 28, an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. Okay, where did the angel come from? From heaven. The angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he's risen, as he said. So you see, the message was a certification that Jesus is not dead. Jesus is alive. 
So, the angels show up in the life of Jesus at his birth, in the midst of the wilderness, following a 40-day period with Satan, during an intense time of prayer in the garden before his death on the cross, following the resurrection, and now, right here in Acts 1, verse 10, these two men in white show up again. These angels are present to speak a message on behalf of the Lord. So why are they sent here this time? Why during the ascension? It's a question that's good to ask. To help us understand a little bit of the role of the angel. I just shared two scriptures. There are are more. This is not exhaustive. But gives us an idea of the role that God has the angel play in the lives of men and women here. Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Or this one, I believe, does a very good job of helping us to define maybe specifically and give us some handles on the angelic role. Psalm 103, verse 20. It says, bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of the Lord. You want to know what the angels do? There it is. They excel in strength. They do his word, heeding the voice of his word. That's from the Bible. That's not some feel-good definition of what an angel does. That's what the Bible says. So, look at what these men say in Acts 1, verse 11. Men of Galilee. Pause right there. These men come on the scene with knowledge of who these men are. Right? They know who they are. Men of Galilee. They are. That's who they are. And the angels come, and they know who they are. They understand the context of the situation. Why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Do you see why God would send his messengers at such a time? For the past 40 days, Jesus has been appearing Here and there to his disciples. 1 Corinthians 15 gives us a little bit of an account of his appearances. He popped in the house with his disciples. And came back a little later to show himself to Thomas. Say, look Thomas, feel Thomas. And Luke records that the apostles saw Jesus ascending into heaven. But the angels show up. They show up. Heeding the voice of the Lord. What's the message? He's gone this time, guys. He's gone. You've been accustomed to seeing him show up for a time, disappear, and then reappear. But we're here to let you know that he's gone to be with the Father, he's in heaven. Life as you have known with Jesus in the flesh is gone, but don't equate that for one moment with him being absent in your life. 
We're here to let you know he's gone to be with his father, but we're also here to remind you that he's coming back just like he said he would. And in the meantime, we also want to remind you of the work you've been given. So stop gazing into heaven and get to work. That's my paraphrase. But I do believe there was an important message given to these men of Galilee. I do believe there was an important purpose for the angels coming at this time. One writer said, Luke repeats the ascension in some detail here in Acts 1. Because the ascension is not only the fitting conclusion to the gospel story. It is also the supremely important presupposition and basis of the entire ongoing life of the disciple community, the church. It is in the light shed by the ascension that we are to view the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The whole course of the Christian centuries and the entire mission of the gospel in the world. You see, this Jesus is Lord. The, 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 the chorus, he is exalted, the king is exalted on high. You see, in light of his obedience to death on the cross, Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says this, Therefore, God also has highly exalted him, that's Jesus, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth. That's everybody, that's everything. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is what? Is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, the angel message is confirming the departure of Jesus from earth back to heaven to be with his father. But it's also a message of hope and encouragement for the apostles and us. He's coming back. He's coming back. Just as you saw him now ascend you're going to see him descend again. It's going to be visible on that day as well. You're going to see him coming. And I got to thinking about his absence and what that would have done to that group of Galileans. This group who had followed Jesus around for some three years. I mean, think about it. He's not here anymore. What was that going to do? To them what's it going to be like you know I was thinking in the New Testament I was thinking about what Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 calls us to, to walk and live by faith what's faith being certain of what we hope for sure of what we do not what see you see Jesus had been around for a long time and they were able to see him now he's gone. Now, now, truly, with him being gone, are they going to walk by faith? See, Jesus isn't here physically right now. The same question gets posed to you and to me today. 
Are you going to walk by faith? Are you going to trust him? Are you going to trust his word for what it says? And walk in light of what his word says? He's coming back. Luke leads the reader to believe that the message from the angels was sufficient, right? They have the last word in verse 11. And then verse 12 serves as a transitory verse. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near, near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Now this verse tells us just a few things about the events surrounding the ascension. First of all, it tells us the ascension's location, the mount called Olivet. It was only a Sabbath day's journey, which approximately... Three quarters of a mile, okay, for the record. Close to Jerusalem. Secondly, this verse tells us the apostles' obedience. They returned to Jerusalem. Don't miss that. They returned to Jerusalem. The command was not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which was coming not many days from now, Acts 1.5. They were commanded not to depart from Jerusalem. What's the text say in verse 12? They return to Jerusalem. They're being obedient. Look at verse 13. When they had entered, they... Who's they? We're going to get a list of who they are here in just a moment. They went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. You see, the text reveals the apostles who had returned from the ascension. All but one are present, right? Judas Iscariot, no longer around. And perhaps the listing of those present is a precursor, is a reminder of what was yet to be accomplished in the period of waiting. You see, because Acts 1, 15 to 26 is going to talk about something that needed to be done in the period of waiting. And what was going to be done was going to be in accordance with the scriptures. We'll we'll talk about that next week. Acts 1, 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now, now this verse speaks to what the apostles were doing as they waited. Okay? It also provides an additional roster of those gathered together with the apostles for prayer. The period of waiting is highlighted by two things, according to the account in Luke and Acts. So if you look to Luke just for a moment, chapter 24... Look at verses 52 and 53. Here's what Luke says in his gospel. And they worshipped him. This is right after he ascends into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem. Sad? With great joy. With great joy. And were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. All right, so... Keep that in mind, and we turn back to Acts 1.14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. So, they worshipped in general. They worshipped, right? Luke 24 says, they returned with great joy and were continually in the temple. Continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. In Acts 1.14 We see that it says they prayed, they continued, they persevered in prayer. 
and they prayed with one accord. In other words, they were united in their prayers at this particular time. And it only gets better as Acts moves forward. You know, Acts 2, 42 tells us that prayer was one of the things that the church devoted herself to. You know, without reading both those passages, you might be inclined to have somewhat of a skewed view of what they did in the waiting. One picture is that of worship in general. The other picture is that of private prayer in an upper room. Both were present in the time of waiting. One writer said, continuous praise in the temple and continuous prayer in the upper room. That was what was going on in the waiting. Another writer says, there can be little doubt that the grounds of this unity and perseverance in prayer were the command and promise of Jesus. He had promised to send them the Spirit soon. He had commanded them to wait for the Spirit to come and then to begin their witness. We learn, therefore, that God's promises do not render prayer superfluous or unnecessary. On the contrary, it is His promises which give us the warrant to pray and the confidence that He will hear and answer. And the scripture is true to this, 1 John chapter 5, 14 and 15. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. You see, the, the text is not clear on the contents of the prayers. Nevertheless, it got me thinking. I started wondering what they were praying about. In the waiting. In light of the end of the Gospels and the beginning of the book of Acts, any idea of what they might be praying about during this period of waiting? I came up with a, a little list. Maybe you came up with a list of your own. Here are a few. And, and I'm not just pulling these out of the air, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at, at context. What do they pray about? Well, I, I believe. At least in part, they would have been praying about all that Jesus commissioned them to be doing, right? Luke 24, 44 through 49, Acts 1, verse 4. They, they, they perhaps were praying about that, that time just not long ago when, when they saw Jesus ascend. And what that was about. And these two men who, who showed up and gave him this word and praying to the Lord. Lord, thank you, first of all, for sending these angels. Thank you. Or, or perhaps part of their prayer was for their own effectiveness as a witness for Jesus in the days ahead, right? Acts 1 verse 8. Perhaps their prayer was for discernment, for pursuing the Lord's priorities. Remember they had asked that question in Acts 1 6. And the Lord was redirecting, redirecting their thinking. No, no, here's what I want you to think about, Jesus said. I want you to think about the power that's going to be coming here shortly in the person of the Holy Spirit. And with that power, you're going to be witnesses to me. That's what I want you to be thinking about. Perhaps their prayer centered around prioritization of what could be done right now in the waiting. And we're going to see that come to play in verses 15 through 26 of this chapter. Perhaps their prayer in light of the words of the angels in verse 11. Lord, help us to be ready when you return. May we be found faithful. When you come back. Perhaps their prayer centered on the arrival of the Holy Spirit yet to come. 
And with that, let me point you back to the words of Jesus in John 16, 7. Remember, right before the cross, Jesus spent a great deal of time instructing his disciples about what was going to happen. In particular, instructing them about the Holy Spirit to come and his role in their life. Well, in John 16, verse 7, listen to what Jesus says. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. I wonder if those words prompted prayer. If I depart. You see, the, the, the apostles had just seen Jesus get carried away into heaven. The angels confirmed he's gone now. He departed. And you can, you can almost see perhaps the process going on with the disciples. You know, Jesus told us before the cross that if he departed, he would send the helper. So, so now what, Lord? I, I imagine the prayers were filled with anticipation, with wonder about how this helper was going to minister to them, about how he was going to abide with them forever, John 14, 16. You see, the ascension, this is important, the ascension triggered a response from the apostles. Praise and blessing, prayer with one accord, prayer with one purpose of mind. Keep in mind that the Holy Spirit has not yet come in Acts 1, and yet much work is being accomplished in the waiting. The Holy Spirit, I'll say that again, has not come yet in Acts 1, but there is much work being accomplished in the waiting. While it's true that the arrival of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 changes these followers of Jesus forever, it is also true that the message confirmed by the angels accompanied with seeing the ascension of Jesus, this moved the apostolic group into action, meaningful, productive action unto the Lord. How much more then? If you have the Spirit of God in you today, ought not there be evident, meaningful, productive actions unto the Lord flowing out of your life? If the Spirit of God is present in you and, and His ministry points to Christ, to the things of Christ... Ought not your life, church, then, be reflective, both in worship, in general, in worship, and that of, specifically, persevering prayer? You see, is there not cause, even yet today, even this day, is there not cause for prayer and worship on our end? Let's not be confused or fuzzy about what they did in the waiting and think that for some reason what they did back then in that period of waiting that was specific to their waiting. No, no, no. Prayer and worship, praising and blessing this great God whom we serve, that is to be regular, ongoing in the life of a follower of Jesus today. And I wonder, has the church lost sight of the waiting she finds herself in today. Jesus is coming soon. The wait is still on. How then are you living in light of his return? The apostolic group was waiting for the Holy Spirit to arrive. 
you and I sit here today, we are waiting for Jesus to come back. Or are you? I don't want to assume that one. Perhaps you've put some things on autopilot here. Perhaps you've forgotten the grace by which you're saved. The Bible says Jesus is coming this second time to judge the world of sin and that God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He's given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead, Acts 17.31. You see the nature of waiting. There's a lot about it that we don't like. Amen? There's a lot about it we don't like. From something as basic and simple as going through the drive-thru, will you pull aside, please? I want my food right now. See, we like our food right now. We don't want to pull over to window one and wait for a burger to be done. See, that's how petty we are, though. We, we don't like, we get, we get grumpy. We get frustrated when we don't get things when we want them. As you press on, church, in this world as sojourners, pilgrims, recognizing that this world is not your home, seeing that you are a citizen of heaven, let me remind you of your sure foundation in Christ. He alone serves as the anchor for your soul. Some of you are waiting for your life circumstances to change. You're waiting for your finances to just get better. You're waiting for that better job. You're waiting for a better marriage situation. You're waiting for relationships with the children to just get better. Some are absorbed in finding a better local church, as though there's one yet to be found without sin, as though there's one local church absent of all conflict and problems. If you're here today and you're waiting for things to just get better, i got a word for you. Don't wait for things to change around you. Ask God to bring about His change in you. That's what's needed. His change in you. Stop waiting for others to work a change on your behalf and seek the Lord while he may be found. Look to the one who alone has already accomplished the work necessary to reconcile you unto himself, which he did through the cross. And see, because until you respond to his grace and see your need for Jesus, for the exalted King of kings, and Lord of lords, until you see your need for this Jesus, you're going to be waiting And you're going to be waiting, and you're going to be waiting. Second Peter three nine says the Lord's not slack concerning His promises, as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Repent and believe. You know, so many in the world today are waiting for things to get better for them. You know, if I just hit the lottery, you know, just, oh, it's going to take care of everything. No, all it is is going to give you more problems. Getting more money is not going to solve it. You might think that way, but that's not what I read in the Bible. Because what I read in the Bible is that that money is is a root of evil. 
It's a root. That's not necessarily a good thing. Yes, it's a wonderful thing to have. And yes, Deuteronomy 8.18 says that we are to praise you and give you the credit, God. You are the one who gives us the ability to produce wealth and income. He's the one. And he's called us, has he not, to provide for our families. He's called us to do that very thing. But for money not to be a god, not to be an idol. See, things are not going to get better for you, friend, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus. Things, I believe, on the contrary, are going to get worse. The Bible is clear about not only the path of the ungodly, the fool, the wicked, but also the destination for those who continue to trust in themselves and in their own unrighteousness, their own, their own filthy rags, righteousness, Isaiah talks about. There's a place called hell. The Bible speaks of it. Now, there are some of you here today who are in Christ and, and you're awaiting the arrival of Jesus once again. The word is clear on how you're to live and wait in light of that return. 2 Peter 3.14 says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, that is the day of the Lord, his return. Be diligent to be found by him in peace. Listen, you're not going to be found by him in peace if you don't have the Prince of Peace in your life. He's not going to just show up and if you don't have Christ in you, if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, He's not going to see peace in you. Remember, peace that Christ gives, He gives unlike that of the world, doesn't He? That's true peace. 1 John 3, 3, everyone who has this hope in Him. What hope? The hope that He's going to be revealed. The hope that we're going to see Him as He is. Everyone who has this hope purifies Himself. Just as he is pure. Don't waste your time, church. Wait on the Lord. Hope in this word. Rest on his promises. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Some of you here in this body, and some of you might be thinking, oh, Steve, no, no, no. I'm not making any assumptions here today. Abstain from lustly flesh, this, this, this lust that's out there. In the world, it's, it's, it's all around us. And some of you here today are just toying with it. You're like straddling the line. And you come to church on Sunday and you think it's okay. And over here during the rest of the week, you're just hanging out with the world. And you're carrying out and you're pursuing these things of the lust. Remember what, remember what John says in his epistle? The, the things of the world are passing away and the lust thereof. Stop dabbling over here. If you're in Christ, you have no business over here. Abstain from it. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Be sober, vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Wait upon the Lord, church. How about this? Deny all ungodliness and worldly lusts and live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Church, it's high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Make no provision 
for the flesh to fulfill its lust. But here, here it is. Here's how to wait in the meantime. Here's how. Put on the Lord. Put on the ascended, glorious Lord over all. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for this message. Thank you for allowing us to see what the apostles were doing in the church, the early church, what they were doing in the period of waiting as they awaited the arrival of the Holy Spirit to come. Father, this message is not simply about the waiting of the apostles, but Lord, your word is profitable for us. May we read these words and see how they're profitable. Lord, there, there may be severe rebuke right here in this text for us. Because some of us may be in our period of waiting have been whining and been complaining. Been wondering, where are you, God? And God's saying, I'm right here. I've not gone anywhere. I'll, oh Lord, I pray you'd help us to see in the period of waiting that as you have put us in the period of waiting, that Lord, you also have purposes, great purposes in the period of waiting. May we see and take comfort in the fact that you are doing work in these periods of our waiting. And may we take great delight in the wait that we have as we wait for Jesus to come back. I pray we would not forget that. In fact, just a moment, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. And this we do. We proclaim this message, this reminder of the Lord's Supper. We partake of the bread and the cup. We show forth the Lord's death until he comes back. Oh, Father, I pray that we would not approach our worship. We would not approach any aspect of what we do here as, as a church gathered together on a Sunday morning. We would not take it lightly. But, Lord, we would walk around on high alert, that we would be sober, vigilant, understanding our enemy who desires to devour us. Lord, we would keep our eyes open and wait the day when you come back on those clouds in great power and glory, accompanied with your angels and trumpet. Lord, I look forward to that, and I pray this body here at Hope in Christ also looks forward to that. I pray that in the meantime, in the waiting, we would be about purifying ourselves just as you are pure, that we would be about understanding and, and longing for that return, that we could be found faithful. I pray, Father, for this church, Lord, that we would endure to the end. We would persevere to the end. Father, you would be pleased with this church at Hope in Christ. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the great salvation you've given to us through Jesus Christ, our ascended Lord. We praise you. It's in his name we pray. Amen.